0: let me get our Bibles open right now to Daniel chapter 6. That's where I want to start this morning, Daniel chapter 6. Um, You know, the last few weeks we've talked about a lot of important things. We've been talking, the big headline for those of you that are just visiting with us today, we've been talking about how to live with courage and conviction in a culture that that sometimes is growing increasingly hostile to our faith. How many of you have, have picked up on that? The, the, the gospel of 50 years ago is not being embraced uh, today in our culture. There's a lot of opposition. I won't go into all the detail. But I'm just saying to, to stand the way we're supposed to stand in our culture today requires courage and conviction. So without just saying, you know, what, let's just do it. You know, I, I like as a pastor to help equip you. How do we live with courage and conviction? How do you stand up for truth? How do you, how do you, how do you know how to live in a courageous way? What's, what does it take on the inside? And week one, we talked about something very, very important. How many of you know you can't have courage for Jesus unless you know Jesus? <laughs> kind of obvious. But what I meant by that is, you know, when you're born again, you're, you've been given a new heart that loves the Lord. You've been given a heart that has affection for Christ and, you know, I love Pastor Dick's reminder today, you know, how I many of you are grateful that you've been forgiven by Jesus of all your sins, um, and, and that God chose you, God reached out to you, God introduced himself to you, anybody grateful for that? I mean, I, sometimes I just go, Lord, why me? Um, but guess what? We're all sitting here this morning, uh, born again and forgiven by the Lord, and I don't know about you, but every, every Sunday is a chance for me to throw gasoline on that fiery affection that I am meant to have for Jesus. And you know what? If you don't have a passionate love for Christ, not just the head knowledge, there are people today that could tell you all the right doctrine, but they're not courageous because doctrine alone will not give you courage. You need to have a connection, a heart-to-heart connection with Christ that's real. And I was talking to someone in the first service who's still struggling with some areas of sin, and, and I said, the problem is this, your level of passion and pleasure for your sin is still greater than your level of passion and pleasure in Christ. How many of you know, if, you're, if your love and passion for the sinful things that used to keep you in bondage is greater than your passion level for Jesus, you'll never get rid of those stinking idols in your life. So what you need is a powerful encounter with Christ that changes us from the inner core of our being. Can I get an amen on that? And, and that's, that's the game changer. Because guess what? The courageous one comes to live inside of you. And when the courageous one is living inside of you, guess what? There's no, you're unstoppable. Second thing we said is you need a new identity. Daniel got a new identity. They tried to put an outside identity on him, but his new identity came from his relationship with God Almighty. And that identity reminded him of who he was. This morning, guess what? We're all sons and daughters of the Most High God. Isn't that awesome? Which means you're not an orphan. Which means this. You don't have to worry that you're going to be left alone in this life with no help. It means you are not. You don't have to worry about eating. You don't have to worry about clothing. The Bible says that the pagans worry about those kinds of things. You're not pagans. You're, you have a father. Anybody grateful for a father? Oh, you have a father. He loves us. He, you say, man, do I have what it takes? He has what it takes. He's with you. Relax. Man, I don't know if I can handle this. He can handle it. You got a father. You're not by yourself. I mean, it takes us a long time to think this way, does it not? To begin to think like sons and daughters. And so that my identity as a son defines who I am, what I love to do, what I'm not supposed to do, what I should do. It, that's, that's the parameters of who I am, as my new identity. Daniel had an identity that was shaped from his relationship with God. And because of that identity, it gave him a, a sense of courage and conviction. We also said it's great to have a map. Aren't you grateful that our Bible gives us a biblical worldview? So when you're in the midst of a, a, you know, I like to look at our Christian life like a a book with many chapters. I mean, you know, some of you are more toward the end of the book and your journey. Some of you are just beginning the journey. Some of you just ended a chapter that was awesome. Some of you are in a chapter right now that you wish was over. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand on that. But here's my encouragement to you. There will be a period at the end of this chapter and God will open up a new chapter for you. I'm going to say that again. That's what the map does. The map lifts you out of where you're at because you're in the middle of the forest and all you can see is the trees. And the map lifts you out of the forest so you can go, ah, oh, I'm almost out of this. This chapter is almost over. I just need to hang on for a little bit longer. Does this make sense to anybody? And even if you're going through the worst kind of attacks in this life, like some of our brothers and sisters are around the world. Here's, the, here's what the map says. ha, <laughs> ha. This life right here is a vapor compared to eternity. This life and whatever suffering I'm in right now is nothing compared to the glory that awaits me. That's what the map does. It reminds me I'm part of a bigger picture and that whatever I'm going through now is just a season and God is on his throne over everything. So we keep trusting God. We keep worshiping in the midst of the fire, do we not? And then we shared last Sunday and Pastor Dick hit it on at communion, did such a great job. We can have all the conviction and, and courage and commitment in the world, but if we don't nourish those convictions, they will dry up and die. They will absolutely dry up and die. What are we doing here this morning? We're nourishing the feeder system of our convictions. How do we do that? Well, we listen to the word of God together. We sit under the word of God. What do we do? We worship corporately and we set our uh, uh, affection on Christ. You know, we just sang about we sang about the map today. Every nation, tribe, language, bowing before the Lord. That's the map. It's not happened quite yet, but that's the map. It will happen. And that's the map that we sang about. So it reminds us of our identity. We sing about being sons and daughters. It reminds us of our new identity in Christ. And guess what? Every Every opportunity to worship is an opportunity to release passion. How many of you know, worship is really about releasing the fiery affection of your heart back on the Lord as he pours out his fiery affection on you. Worship is not a cerebral thing as we sing. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. No, that's not going anywhere. In other words, act like you believe it. Act like you believe it and sing yourself into believing it. In other words, sometimes you start declaring these things. Have you noticed certain songs take a life of their own after a while? They start building, and all of a sudden they catch. Actually, what's happening? You just got caught by the Holy Spirit. And as you're singing, it like pulls you out of you, and you forget about you. I mean, that's one of the best things that can happen is when I forget about me. And when I get my eyes on somebody greater than me, then I get then I get happy. But when my eyes are all on me, I'm so miserable. My life is so miserable. Then I come here and what happens? I holy habit. I just get supersized by God Almighty. You hear what I'm saying? So worship, worship to be done well should come out of a fiery affection in our hearts. Now, let me just say this. If you come here and there's no fire going on because you've had a rough week and somebody dumped water on your heart, that's okay because guess what? You might worship next to Chris. Chris. She's got enough fire for you and her. And then I might get next to Cheryl. Cheryl's going to spill some fire on me. And I get I get up here and I'm surrounded by people with fire. And guess what? Boom, I ignite again. And I'm like, yes! It might not happen until song number two. Song number three. Maybe song number four. But if you play with fire long enough, you're going to catch back on fire. That's the way this works. We, we need holy Connections. You were not meant to do this by yourself. We can't do this by ourselves. We spend time in the Word. We spend time in prayer. We're part of the larger body. We're sending people. We're going to be feeding people, clothing people, loving people. That's going to be a whole big thrust we're going to be introducing here over the holiday season. But my point is this. If you want those things to grow and be strong, you have to have the disciplines of God. Guess Every week when we give, what are we doing? It's a holy habit. I'm going, here we go, Lord. I trust you once again. You are my source. Yes. There it goes. You are my source. Life from God. That's the way it works in the kingdom. Holy habits. So let's talk about today's message. We're going to talk about kingdom loyalty. Kingdom loyalty. And we're going to look at Daniel's daring defiance. Now, let me define loyalty to you in just two words. I love this. Loyalty is affectionate allegiance. Affectionate allegiance. See, up to this point in our series, we've been talking about how to sustain or create convictions that are deep in the courage to live those out. But at this point, we're moving beyond talking about it. We're going to do it. How many of you are ready to put some things in action? In other words, not talk about convictions, but act on your convictions. Not talk about courage, but be courageous. Amen? At some point, we got to move out of the talking and begin acting. Now, here's the issue. I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah and part of my holy habits. I've been reading there, and it's amazing to me. There's a situation in which um, Daniel is finding himself, in, in in this particular part, finding himself fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah. Now, here was the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, look, you guys have rejected me for so long and turned your back on me for so long. I am releasing you into judgment. Nobody wanted to hear that. And Jeremiah had the word to go around and actually tell the people that. So Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 is got a yoke on his neck, like an oxen's yoke on his neck. And he's going, this is what God is going to do because of your sin and disobedience. And he's got a yoke on his neck. An upstart prophet who was not hearing from God and was really prophesying to what the people wanted to hear, shows up and takes the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck, and he breaks the yoke, and he says, Let's say it to the Lord. We're going we're to basically go into judgment, but it's only going to last two years, and then God's going to break the yoke of our oppressors. Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, the Bible says, just walked out of the worship service. At that point, he had nothing else to add. But Jeremiah gave the true word of the Lord, and this is what the true word of the Lord was. You can see it on the screen. The true word of the Lord came in, in chapter 29, verse 7. In fact, here was the honest report from the Lord. You're not going to go into judgment for two years. It's going to be, ready for this, 70 years. How many of you know, if you had the choice, two years, 70 years, well, which which pre- preacher would you like to listen to? The only problem, well, here, here's the correct answer. The right one. <laughs> Don't judge the content based on the appeal or lack of appeal to your flesh. Here was the word of the Lord that Jeremiah gave them. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Listen to this. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Look at this. Marry and have kids. Then find spouses for them. Now we're talking about multiple generations. We're not talking about one generation, multiple generations. Find spouses for them so that you can have grandchildren. Now we're talking three generations. Multiply! Exclamation point. Do not dwindle away! Another exclamation point. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Listen to this word that he says. He says, you're going to be living in Babylon. You're going to be living in a foreign, wicked place. Don't shrink back. I've heard people say this. Oh, I don't know if we should have children and bring them into this evil world. That was the same stinking thinking. He had to address right here. He said, stop it. Yes, you're going to be in Babylon. Marry. Have kids. In fact, have lots of kids. Don't shrink in Babylon. Grow in Babylon. Expand in Babylon. Multiply in Babylon. Plant your home, your, your, your crops. Start your home. He said, pray for the blessing of this place and work toward the blessing of this place. Now, how many of you know that's exactly what Daniel did? Daniel spent his life. In fact, when we read here in chapter 6, this is like decades later. Daniel's no longer a teenager like we started in chapter 1. Daniel's now an older man, and he's been serving as an exile in this country for years. And I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. I want to start reading in verse 1, because this brings us to where we're at today. We're trying to find How to live a healthy tension between being a citizen of God's kingdom. How many of you are citizens of the kingdom of God in this room besides me? Where our primary allegiance lies and we're a citizen of the United States of America. So here's what I'm suggesting to you. We have to balance the tension of what it means to live in this country and be a good citizen, a patriot. All right, love your country, serve your country and balance that with the demands that are higher demands of the kingdom of God and of our greatest leader, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the tension that we live in, kingdoms that are in conflict. And so I want you to see a testimony here about Daniel's life, and I hope this helps you as you get ready to go to work tomorrow morning, perhaps. The Bible says, Darius the Mede, Darius is now the king, not Nebuchadnezzar, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Look at the testimony of Daniel in verse 3. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Daniel is getting ready for a promotion here, a mega promotion. He's already one of the top three. He's getting ready to be put above those other two men, right under the king himself. This is a huge promotion coming his way. Look at verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs but they couldn't find anything to criticize or to condemn. This was a politician, ready for this, with character and integrity, squeaky clean. Can any of you comprehend that thought? (laughs) Squeaky clean, no corruption, nothing to criticize, nothing to condemn. He was faithful, always responsible and trustworthy. Oh, we just got to pause here because this is good stuff for us. When you're living in Babylon and you want to set yourself apart as a man or woman of God, you don't have to have a fish symbol tattooed on your forehead, all right? That's probably not the best way. You're probably not looking for a lot of bling-bling Christian symbols to set you apart. How about this? How about being faithful? You know, Pastor Keith Tusey always challenges us. He says that he'll talk to his leadership, and this is what he's told him. He said, look, if I have to call you up to ask you if you've done what I asked you to do, consider that an insult. What does he mean by that? Well, if you have been entrusted with a responsibility, but you have to be continually followed up to make sure that you are following through with that responsibility, you are not being a faithful steward of what you've been given. In fact, your leader still has to keep that going around in his or her mind, uh, which is something that was never intended. When Daniel was assigned something, the Bible says he was faithful. He did what he was responsible to do in a faithful manner. He was, how about this one, trustworthy, which means the king. Check this out. This is an exile. This is a slave who's been promoted to one of the top three positions in the whole kingdom. He's not one of them. He's an outsider. He's an enemy, so to speak, but yet this man's integrity is so off the charts that this wicked king finds him trustworthy. Now, this is awesome. Follow along with me here. Daniel never let pride come into his heart, unlike the kings that he was serving. Nebuchadnezzar had a pride problem. Darius had a pride problem. Because here's why. He never compromised his loyalty to his heavenly king. Daniel's name means, as we mentioned before, God is my judge. Now, I just got to tell you, I'm going to to help you all out this morning. If you will set your allegiance to God as primary and keep him before you, it's going to simplify your life. A lot of you lead other people. Some of you are leaders in your business, in the marketplace. You have people that report to you. How many of you know it is absolutely impossible for anybody to think you're wonderful at the same time on the same day? That's a nice way of saying, you'll have critics. Now, some of you find this hard to believe, but even in the church. Jay, what are you laughing? (laughs) Even in the church, believe it or not, it is impossible to please all of the people all the time. So let me help you out. Please one person. All the time. Make that your goal. Please, one person all the time. And if you really feel ambitious, please, two people, add your spouse in there, all right? If I if I add my wife in there, right? honey, are we good? Yes, we're good. Hallelujah. Mama's happy. Everybody's happy. Now I can go here. Lord Jesus, are we good? The Bible says, strive to live with your brothers and sisters with a clean conscience before God and your brothers and sisters. Amen? Isn't that simple? Daniel's not intimidated by all these People around him by his job. At the end of the day, he's saying this, Lord, have I brought pleasure to you and glory to you? Have I pleased you? Isn't this simple? When you, when you are radically God-centered, it simplifies things. It complicates other things, but it really simplifies what you're called to do. Now notice, you know, I just want to mention this. We, we're getting ready to honor some new members to our family. And in our new members class, we talk about some of our core values. One of our core values here is, is we as a people want to be radically God-centered. Can I get an amen? Here's the simple version for that. And moms and dads have shared this with your children over times. I know my mother shared this with me one time. It shaped my life. It's not all about you. It hurt going down. <laughs> I can still remember sitting in the car as my wonderful, faithful mom is driving me around like my, like her new assignment now is, is professional chauffeur to, to me. Hurry up, Mom, we're going to be late. Hurry up, Mom, i got to be here. Hurry up, Mom. And finally one day, imagine that kind of selfishness coming from your pastor. But it was true. And finally she just looked at me nicely in her five-foot-tall little dynamite body, and she just said, one of these days, son, you're going to realize that the whole universe does not revolve around you. Ouch. But the, friend, the, the wounds of a friend are like medicine. That's the best thing a teenager could learn in life. And an adult. And anybody. It ain't about you. It's about him. It's all about him from beginning to end. All about him. Now, what I love about Daniel, and we're gonna we not going to go all the way back here, but I remember when he in, interpreted his circumstances, he was God-centered. He said, the Lord gave King Nebuchadnezzar victory over us. God did it. I'm going to help some of you out here again. If you will get radically God-centered in your orientation, you'll stop freaking out about when things don't go right. When things mess up your schedule, the flat tires, the whatever, you're you're not going to freak out and let those things blow you out. You're going to go, wait a minute. God is over my life. Every little detail I can trust Him with. This makes sense to anybody. God is for me, not against me. I I didn't share this first service, but we pull into Myers the other day. We're trying to get all this last-minute stuff done, like buy tons of groceries before we leave so our kids can eat while we're gone. You know, stuff like that. We pull out... I was going to start my car in Myers. The battery's dead. <laughs> now, maybe I many you know you're, you're not thinking about fixing a battery? You're like, I got to pack my suitcase for Cambodia and buy pizzas for my kids so they eat food. And I look up, and there's a young man that I haven't seen at church for months coming over to give me a hug and say Hi. I hug them, next thing I know, we got jumper cables out, their cars pulled up, and I'm on the road in like 30 seconds. Listen, it wasn't about the battery. It was about a divine appointment. I went to the store to cash my check over at Sinter's, Strachan Van Til's. I got there at 9.30. They don't open till 10. I don't want to stay in the grocery store for 30 minutes. So I'm hanging out. While I'm hanging out, guess what? I run into somebody who I haven't seen in months. And just the eye contact said everything. I didn't have to say anything. And we got hugging and reconnecting and all that. I know that was a setup. God had me wait for Centur Bank so I could connect with somebody whose soul needs to be here, having holy habits, but they have not been here My life is the Lord's. How about you? He is the center of my life. The sooner I let go, the more fun I have. gets to be really cool. Daniel eats for the glory of God. Remember, he wouldn't defile himself by eating food and wine given to to them by the king. He, He even ate for the glory of God. He was God-centered in the interpretation of the dreams. I'm not going to have time to go into that. But he stood before King Belshazzar, and he said, You have not honored God who gives you breath and controls your destiny. He See, prophets will say, people of God, prophetic people, will say bold things based on conviction, and they don't really care about the folks around them or the fallout when they know it's true. It gives you courage and conviction. Imagine saying that to one of the most powerful men on the planet. But he spoke the word of the Lord. You have not honored God who gives you breath and controls your destiny, he said. And here's what I want to focus on today. I want you to check out with me Daniel's God-centered prayer life. And we're going to talk about his daring defiance here in just a moment. But read with me. Keep reading. We're going to read in verse 5. Daniel 6, verse 5. So they concluded, Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and they said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high advisors, high officers, advisors, governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So Darius signs the law. Now, let me just share with you here. When people come up to you and they say, everybody is saying such and such. Everybody thinks this is the way. Every, I talk to everybody. This, this is what everybody is saying. What I found in the church life is when you press that issue, everybody is usually that person and their friend. It is a conspiracy of two. Because most of the time, a disgruntled person is just looking for somebody to agree with them. And once somebody agrees with them, everybody agrees with them. Now, I got news for you. Nobody talked to Daniel. He wouldn't have agreed. He's one of the top three leaders in the land. Nobody, Nobody consulted him. And I don't think they took an opinion poll out of the other 120 people. This is two bad guys looking to team up on a good guy to get him fired. That's what this is. It's rooted in envy and jealousy. Any of you ever deal with that in the marketplace out there? You get the promotion, everybody hates your guts. You get the favor, everybody's trying to kill you, get you fired. Um, I mean, this is real life stuff. Here's something else I want to encourage you. To watch this. When people flatter you and try to put you on the same level as God, they might have an agenda. Oh, Pastor Ron, <laughs> you are like Billy Graham and T.D. Jakes all rolled into one. (laughs) Now, that would be an interesting thought, wouldn't it, David? (laughs) Billy, Jakes, Graham, or however that works. No, when you start believing your own press releases, all right, and someone keeps feeding you that on a regular basis, their motives might not be that pure. And let me just tell you this, when someone puts you on the same level as God, their motives are not that pure. Um... That's what was happening here. Now, check out. Let's go on reading. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, check out this brother. He went home. He knelt down. Everybody say those two words with me. As usual, in his upstairs room, with its windows open towards Jerusalem, which was the place of his loyalty, and he prayed three times a day. Look at there it is again. Just as he had always done giving thanks to his God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house, and they found him praying and asking God for help. So they went straight to the king, and they reminded the king about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions, Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And here comes the noose around Daniel's neck. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, I like this parenthetically, one of those captives from Judah, this guy's one of the three most powerful people in the whole kingdom, but right now he's a captive from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Now, now I'm going to mess with you, all right? That was all. I'm just laying the foundation. Now I'm going to mess with you. And my prayer is that every one of you feels incredibly challenged and uncomfortable before you leave here today. How's that for how's that for seeker sensitivity? Yeah, we just kicked it out the door. We're talking about conviction. And this gets as real as it could possibly get, all right? And if you're not feeling a, t- a tad bit uncomfortable, you got to listen to the message again because you missed it. And I mean this in a good way. There's some things that should challenge us. I hope this is one of them. Look at Daniel's daring defiance. First point, Daniel prays in full knowledge. As soon as he finds out about this law, he knows fully what the law is. He knows that this law will send him to the lion's den if he disobeys it. And he does as he has always done. This is open conviction, in-your-face defiance to a wicked law by a king. Now, okay, we all get it, but here now I want to mess with you because the devil is subtle, very subtle. If you knew you were up for a major promotion in a short matter of time and this law just said no praying to anybody but the king for 30 days, what would be going on in your mind? Let me help you. Because it's the same thing that would be going on in your neighbor's mind and in your pastor's mind. Tell me if this is not how we would be thinking. Why would I risk the promotion over something as petty as my personal prayer life? Or, how about this one? It's only 30 days. I mean, I can put, my, I can put a comma in my devotion and conviction for God for it's only 30 days. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Or how about this one? Think of all the good I can do for God once I get this promotion. My platform is going to be huge. What good is it if I'm in a lion's den being eaten? Who am I going to impact then? But if I get this promotion, I'm going to have the ear to the head honcho. I can lead this guy to Jesus. I can have all kinds of influence. It's only 30 days. Anybody ever track those thoughts with me? Especially, how about, how about when what's attached to that is a whole lot of money and privilege? But Daniel, in full knowledge, violated the law. Let's go to the second point. He prayed in full view. How many of you know he went right back to the window where he always prayed three times a day, where anybody could look into his house and see him praying out the window? Now, let me bring up some more points here just to meddle with your brains. All he had to do was go underground for 30 days. I mean, how do you know? Some people read devotional material when they go to the bathroom. I mean, why not in the bathroom? Why pray in front of the window? Why not in the bathroom? Why not? In, about, the Bible talks about prayer closets? This would be a good time to have a prayer closet. You could hide in the closet. I mean, I'm just trying is this, is this real thinking here? I mean, do you have to do it in front of the window? God, of course I don't have to do it in front of the window. I can, I can pray to you anywhere. And you hear me? I can go out on the golf, I could start praying on the golf course, God, and I won't have to do it in front of the window. Nobody will see me. No, he goes right to the window. Can anybody see this? This is daring defiance right here. He's not hiding this. How about this one? You know, Daniel, you're being so legalistic. Now, I've heard all these, by the way. You're being so legalistic, Nate. You don't have to go kneel. You don't have to kneel right there. You don't have to do it in front of the window. You're being legalistic. Just pray. You don't have to. It's not how you pray, Nate. You're being legalistic. God doesn't care how you pray. Can anybody hear the hisses of the serpent and all these things? You know, you have to learn to determine what the devil's voice sounds like versus what the Holy Spirit sounds like. Let me tell you, the devil has a list. Isn't it? He's always trying to get you to back off of your convictions and sometimes he uses religious people to help. See, it's not the world that ever accuses you of being legalistic. It's Christians. Some of your biggest enemies to being the person God's called you to be are not out there. You're sitting next to them on Sunday. They're the ones that are always trying to tone you down. always trying to. You're being too legalistic. These are the people that want to just throw grace on everything. It really doesn't matter. How about this one? You know, David, maybe you're really too focused on your reputation. Is this this prayer thing, is this really all about you? I mean, you know, those ones really stick deep. Because now you think you're acting on the motive of righteousness, and somebody who is your brother or sister is now suggesting that maybe it's become more about you than about the Lord. I'll just tell you this. Every great man or woman who has changed history has had people attack their motives. Every one of them. That's why let me give you another little hint. You know what's one of my lifelines? My holy habits? I read historical biography. Because the devil hasn't changed. He's a still lying, scheming, stupid, doesn't play fair, and every one of God's choicest servants has been attacked by this joker in the same way over time. So when I read about John Wesley or George Whitefield, or I read about, about, uh, uh, help me out, my, who's the guy that stopped slavery in Great Britain? William Wilberforce, man, William Wilberforce. He's preaching his guts out, condemning the evils of slavery, and the religious parliamentarians were turning his words and making it sound like he was doing this just for himself, for his own career, for his own aggrandizement. Boy, the devil's sly, isn't he? Even when you're standing for something that's right, people will make it seem like, oh, you're just doing that for you. It's all about you. How about this one? He prayed, number three, with full force. You know, Daniel, okay, do the window thing, but you don't have to pray three times. Now, here's another one. Ready for this one? If you're a person of conviction that you're going to get this thrown your way, you're being a fanatic. (laughs) Some of you have had that spoken over you. You know, you're just taking this Jesus thing, a little too serious. And they're trying to smile when really on the inside, they are going, you're freaking me out because you're being too radical. And have you noticed that the word radical never comes out of anybody's mouth? Who is? Your passion for God will stir up folks who are cold for God. Your commitment to truth will stir up people who have a hard time standing up for anything. Your courage to run to the fire will mess with the people that are sprinting away from the fire. This is the way conviction and courage works. These things don't happen in mobs. The mob activity is always choosing the path of least resistance. The people that are standing are going against the grain. They're like the eagles. They're not like sparrows. They're like eagles. There's something different about them. And you need to be an eagle. You need to have the conviction that stands even when the folks around you, because here's the deal. When Chris is radical in prayer and I see her heart going after God and I'm in a room with her, she provokes me. Now, her, the provocation is righteous. She's not even thinking about me. She's so radically God-centered. She's not even thinking about me. But I'm watching her devotion, and it's messing with me. At that moment, here's what's happening. It's an invitation by God for more. Or you have to kill the person who's making you feel uncomfortable. Now, we don't take out a knife and kill her, but we kill her with our words. We, we slander her devotion. We say, yeah, Chris, you know, she's got, her feet aren't firmly planted on planet Earth. She's up. <laughs> she's one of those people that likes to pray. You know them. No, her prayer life is challenging you to turn yours up. But no, we don't want to go there. So it's easier to slap Chris. Now we don't slap her to her face; she's too sweet. We slap her behind her back because we're good Christians. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't believe in violence, but behind her back, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys know what you're talking about here, Pastor. What are you preaching about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't play dumb. Very true. Radical, extreme, fanatic. Pray three times. They pray three times at Daniel's church. We just pray one time at our church. We're balanced. In fact, Daniel, just pray early in the morning or late at night when no one can see you. But no, you're a radical. You got to pray at midday when the sun's out right in front of your window. Radical, radical, radical. Too radical for me. All right. Number four. He prayed with full clarity. Here's what Daniel didn't do. Would you all join me right now for a moment of silence? Let me just interject here. This is the dumbest public act we currently have going. Let's all of us be quiet for just a second. What is that? Who got blessed? Who would we talk to? What the heck happened? Nothing! Except the planet for a moment of time. At peace and quiet. Nobody said anything stupid for just five seconds. But let me tell you what else happened. Nothing! National tragedy. People are dead have a moment of silence. That did nothing (laughs) except make Christians like me angry. And I hope you have some anger. Daniel didn't say, hey, let's just, hey, we live in pluralistic Babylon. So let's just pray to the God who makes you happy. No, he prayed with clarity. Let me tell you who Daniel prayed to. The Bible says he gave thanks to his God. He prayed to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He prayed to the God who split the Red Sea. He prayed to the God who worked miracles in the desert. He prayed to the God who revealed himself to Abraham. He prayed to the God who's known all through his history as a God who's unparalleled. In fact, his name all through the prophets is the Lord of heaven's armies. This God has an identity. He prayed with clarity. I was sharing with our worldview class. I was teaching. Mary and I were going with mom and dad. We'd teach on marriage in the public school, home ec class or something. And one day after class, a teacher came up to me. She was so sweet. She said, "Um, can I ask you a question? Then she started whispering already. She's already turning the volume down. How you know, at that moment, you can't wait to hear what the question is. (laughs) Hey, can I ask you a question? (laughs) I said, sure. Um. Let me see how to say this. Um, would it be possible? And I'm like, lady, just barf it right out of there. All right? Just come on. I'm going to pat her on the back. <laughs> cough it up. Cough it up. <laughs> um, would it? Do you think it would be possible for you to um to teach about marriage without um uh like I'm mentioning? I framed the clarity moment. No, and then I and then I helped explain. I said, teaching young people about marriage without telling them about the person who invented it would be doing them a tremendous disservice. It would be like you teaching your home ec class, teaching young people how to make delicious apple pies and never mentioning apple. <laughs> Are we tracking here? Problem was, we never got invited back. But, ready for this? That's okay. I drew a clear line. We don't talk about marriage without talking about the one who designed it. Because you know why? It gives marriage a bad picture and it gives God a bad reputation, it robs him of his glory. Speak with clarity. Last point, and then we're going to pray. He prayed with full conviction. The Bible says Daniel prayed just as he had always done. And I want you to see this. Folks, this is an act of open, daring defiance to a wicked king and an equally wicked law. Now hear me. Being defiant doesn't mean you're mean. You can be defiant and smile. In fact, some of your kids do that all the time. That's where we learn this stuff, right? I'm not talking about being mean. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be showing some incredible opportunities we're going to have to love on people, to serve people, to keep uh, helping hungry people, clothing people that need clothes. I mean, helping people in in their times of need. That's who we are, right? We're the body of Christ. That's what we do. We roll up our sleeves. We love people. But here's something else we do. We don't let anybody take the, the position that only belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We don't let anybody have that affection. And listen, when a king passes a stupid law like that, somebody needs to tell him it's a stupid law. And we're not obeying it. Now listen, I've been telling you this for 10 years here at Living Stones about the things that we're seeing happening right now. I don't know how many of you watch the news, but in the state of Massachusetts, it was the breeding ground. I mean, the, the epicenter of America back in the day, right? You, I've, I've walked in Boston. I've walked into the, the little uh there. Uh, there. What is that called? I Man, my mind. Help me out. Chris, help me out. The graveyard. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. The graveyard. All right. It's a who's who of American history in the graveyard there. These were godly founders in that graveyard. This is the home of, of the Puritans. This is the home of guys like Jonathan Edwards and all these kinds of folks. This is Massachusetts. They just passed a law that said this. If your church opens its doors for any kind of public accommodation stuff, you are now under the law uh, regarding LGBT rights and special rights. And at that point, if you preach anything or say anything or do anything that's biblical that would in some way hurt somebody, offend somebody, upset somebody, then you're going to be fined, imprisoned, or basically put out of business. Now, there used to be accommodations for religious liberty. Not in Massachusetts. They used to say, well, this doesn't apply to churches because... Because rights of conscience, are you with me? But if you're godless, you don't care about rights of conscience because you're your own God and there's nobody to appeal to that's higher than you. That's why, listen, our founders believed that any person running for office who was an atheist was unfit to run for office, hear me, because they had no allegiance higher than themselves. And you know what? When you have no allegiance higher than yourself, you will lie and cheat and steal. You'll be full of corruption because the only game that matters to you is the current election. This is just a hint for what's coming down the road here in a few weeks, all right? When people don't honor God above everything else, they're the most dangerous people on the planet. I'm telling you, right now we're in a situation where if the church doesn't stand with a smile on our face and say, you know what, thank you, but I'm not obeying that law. Thank you. You know, we've been doing the pulpit Freedom Sunday for for over a decade now. We break 501c3. We tell the IRS, you don't belong in the church. You don't belong in my sermons. This is a different realm of authority here. This is God's kingdom we're representing here. That's God's word we're preaching. You have no business coming in and telling me what I can and can't say from the pulpit. That is taking a smile as we stand for liberty. In fact, you, you all know the gig. We send them the message. We let them know, hey, you can watch on video if you'd like to see it live. But here's, my, here's a picture of us breaking the law. We just wanted you to know about it. We're inviting them to do something about it because it's, it's, worth, it's a principle worth fighting for. It's been going on for over 10 years. The IRS has never done anything about it because they don't have a leg to stand on. But listen, we have people in our culture today. In fact, when I did that, the very first Sunday I did that, we had people that left our church. This is what they said. Well, I don't want to go to a church where the pastor does not honor the law. Whose law? Whose law? Sometimes we forget. You're all part of a nation that told King George, see you later, alligator. You wouldn't even be here if people didn't have enough sense to break a law, bad law, ungodly law. Does this make sense to everybody? Daniel heard the law. He said, thank you. God, I love you and I worship you. And I continue to be right where I'm at, three times a day, where I've always been, because you're king of kings and lord of lords. This is a really bad law. And I'm going to worship you. That's what he did. Knowing, check this out, his prayer life was more important than his life. Think about it. That act right there was going to cost him his life. And he said, bring the lions on if that's the case. Because, there, listen, there are some things in life that are worth more than life itself. That's called conviction. Be bold, be clear, be consistent, be loving and kind. But know what you believe and be willing to stand for it. Because, listen, if you don't stand at this line, they keep drawing the lines back. And before you know it, we're we're painted in a corner with no liberties and no rights, and not the ability to even love and honor and worship God in our culture, that's a bad place to be. I don't know about you. I don't want to be there. And so it takes courage and conviction in our culture today to stand up. Why are we going to unreached people groups? Listen, in unreached countries, there's no amusement parks on your day off. I'm just giving you a hint. There's There's no Disneyland's on your day off for your free day. It is tough. That's why they're still unreached. There's nobody there reaching them. Why are we picking unreached places? Because you know what? This is a daring church. This is a church that wants to go right at the devil's throat and wants to go to the hard places. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of it. Does this make sense to everybody? I'm just kind of connecting some dots here. He's He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Do the right thing. And when you get enough people standing with conviction, doing the right thing, there's no end to what God can and will do when people are willing to stand, but it always takes a catalyst. And usually the catalyst is the one that loses their head. <laughs> and everybody else says, by golly, if Jay can do it, I'm going to stand up too. And that's exactly how it happens. But somebody has to go first. Be the person that's willing to go first and be a part of a tribe that's willing to follow. And, uh, and I believe that we are. Amen? All right, my lovely bride, come on up here. Let's give the, let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Yeah, Jesus.